Okay, every year people ask me what they should get their swimmer for Christmas, and I always tell them the same thing. Get a pair of drag socks made by Aquavolo. It's the perfect stocking stuffer for any swimmer. Honestly, there's no simpler training tool to build power in the water than a pair of drag socks. Go to aquavolo.com and use the code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout and save 10%. The offer's good only through November, so order now. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. It's called Swim Nerd Live and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone or other device. There are so many things you can do with this software. A very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. All right, we are on the road again. We're back here in Eindhoven. I am with the legendary Ben Proud today. Mate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Grab that. Actually, yeah, we're, we're going to pass this thing back and forth. We're kind of right now, they, they have this funny curfew in Eindhoven where they lock everything down at five o'clock. So we, we actually tried to set up in a room and they wouldn't let us. So we're out in the hallway right now randomly doing a podcast um at the hotel hopefully we don't get kicked out here but uh this is interesting something different we're just we're, we're going with the flow and ben's been awesome with this so mate um just talk to us about uh your ixl isl experience this season you're in season three now you had some some real good swims your team's now been um you know they're back in the final again and uh so just talk us through this season a little bit yes i mean we're what where are we now finish playoffs the final is in like three or four days and uh yeah things are going well i mean we're <clears throat> as a team we've you know we've been good up until now like we've, we've made it through every competition like a few wins a few losses um we've missed a few people um but we've still made it so that's the main thing uh and at the moment we're just resting game ready and the the final should be a big one should be a tough one but um but yeah i mean i've, I've really enjoyed it this year um, been 
last year I didn't really get the opportunity to swim so much in ISL. Like I wasn't quite informed, so I wasn't really, you know, a big part of it. Whereas coming back this year with a year of training, like we're kind of, I feel like I'm, you know, bigger part of the team, which is, yeah, good feeling. Yeah, you're swimming fast again for sure. Um, what, what's been your fastest time this season? Uh, 20.64 in the 50. That was a British record, right? 20.6. So who had it before that? Uh, it was me. Uh, yeah, I've had it since 2015. Before that was Mark Foster and, but yeah. Keep Foster going. took you down, mate. <laughs> Did he do the interview after it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a, a, he's a solid guy. I mean, yeah. different different generations. So yeah. My generation. Um, but good dude, yeah. Uh, raced him a lot of times. Tough man. But, um, mate, you've taken it to another level now, uh, 20, 20 points. Um, do you think we're ever going to see somebody in the near future go under 20? I'm just waiting for Dressel to do it. I mean, <laughs> Dressel? Don't worry about Dressel. What about Ben Proud? I mean, I, I've always considered myself a long course swimmer. And, you know, that's my passion. When I'm racing here in ISL and we're doing it week after week, you do learn to love it because it's a, a different feel. You know, so much more to do in a 50 uh, short course than there is long course. Um, I'm just happy to be in the top 10. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking to get that time down and down. But in reality, my, my focus is always long course and always to get that time. Uh, faster yeah mate to be honest i love that mentality i had a very similar mentality when i when i turned professional uh the age of 23 or so up to the age of 30 it was, it was all about a long course mentality uh bruno fratis one of my athletes has a very similar mentality as well doesn't doesn't partake in the icl but this is um you know a, a new generation of swimming you know professional swimming is now part of our lives and you can make good money doing this you can be part of a great team like you are with energy standard um, so do you feel like there may be a shift in your mentality a little bit to try and become a much better short course swimmer? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think it was about two years ago, I had an interview saying you know, after the Olympics, I'm going to change my, change my training up and, you know, become a short course swimmer, you know, bring the hundreds back and, and essentially make my physical lifestyle around the ISL, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, still can be a thing. Uh, we see how ISL progresses and like we, we move with the, the generation really. But um, I think for me, like my, my passion always lies in the long course and in the world champs and the Olympics. And like you say, this is the, the future of uh, professional swimmers is taking part in the ISL and, and you can make, you know, a good living being a short course swimmer. Um, so I'm just happy I can be, be in it. You know, I don't put all my focus or my, energy into swimming short course you know i still struggle to to do turns and to get wrap my head around like the simple things um but just being able to be here and race and you know make a living from it is is, is brilliant tell me about this let's talk specifically about the 53 and and your 50 fly i mean uh, you're you're one of the best in the world in the fly um long course as well so in terms of the freestyle itself, what are the major differences for you? What are the challenges for you going from kind of a long course mentality? We talk about that to a short course mentality. What's the challenges? Well, I mean, there's probably tons to talk about in this because me as a swimmer, you know, I'm, I'm very much 50. I like to keep things simple, um, block out everything else and just do, do what I do. And when you're swimming the 50, you dive in and it's 35 meters of pure swimming. And you typically get into the flow and then you have to try to extend your, you know, your, your easy speed. Right. I say that, but it's still hundred percent effort. Your, 
natural speed for as long as you can. Whereas when you change that to short course, you just, you dive in, you go for it and you just put as much effort in all the way. And it's a lot less fatiguing. So you're able to carry that extra bit of speed uh, throughout the entire race um, in terms of like stroke rates and stroke uh, efficiency in right. a way. Right. And then, and then short course wise, that kind of just messes with that whole game plan, right? You've got to then, you know, prepare for a turn, execute a turn, work out of a, a turn and then get back into some sort of rhythm again. And, and has that been a struggle for you in the past, has it? Yeah, so looking at my race analysis uh, from pretty much all my meets I've done in the past, my biggest strength is you know zero to fifteen and then twenty five to thirty five. Mm. You know those two points are where I really you know make my difference. So move to short course at twenty five. There's a wall. It completely disrupts that. So that's probably where I've found the biggest challenge to become a short course swimmer. Um, you know, it's, it's simple to learn, like you just change the things and you, you understand your body and you understand what you need to do. Um, but just in terms of my real strengths, it kind of gets taken away. Right, right, right. And, and you feel that the same kind of thing in the fly as well? Like a, a long course 50 fly was always difficult for me because I always felt like I would try and pull so hard and, and you know, you end up slipping water. So it, there's still challenges within a good long course fly but then then i guess that same type of thing kind of breaks your rhythm when you when you hit it short course yeah and fly for me is very much the same it's if anything more you know i, I worked on my 50 meter craft to be 19 strokes uh, smooth efficient you know staying quite nice and flat in the water um and that's what worked for me you know other people have come along and much more aggressive higher stroke rates more strokes and go much faster. Um, but the way I've learned to, to do it ever since I was young was just to be you know, smooth on top of the water and again, take it to short course and all of a sudden 30 meters is underwater. And if you don't maximize that underwater, then you're falling behind. Um, I mean, my underwater is, is good. It's not the best, but, um, but yeah. Mate, was it always sprinting for you? Was Ben Proud born a sprinter? Yeah, and uh, so my my background in swimming isn't you know the standard British background. Okay, oh, interesting. Tell me about it. Well, so I was essentially born and raised in Malaysia. Okay. Uh, so five months old, me and my family moved out there uh, to Kuala Lumpur, and you know had a good life. Like that's where I lived for seventeen years. Um, through that time, like I, I I swam as a kid, and I was part of the school team. I went to competitions, but you know, I don't think I've been trained more than twice a week mm. up until I was about 15. Um, and, you know, I think I was a backstroker when I was when I was younger. You know, I didn't really have much thought or effort into what I was doing as a swimmer. It wasn't until I was 15 years old. Uh, I met some coach and he kind of said, like, you know, there's some potential. Like, if you come work with me, do a few more sessions, put a bit more effort into it. You know, I can make you national champion in Malaysia mm -hmm. of, of age groups when I was 16. So I thought, okay, let's give it a go. And sure enough, within a year, like I think my best time in the 53 was 26 and it dropped down to 23. Um, fly again was 28 seconds and it dropped down to 24 um, when I was 16. Um, 
and the training we did with him was you know ultra short it was mm. you know barely a thousand meters a session oh yeah. mate you found the right coach straight away that's awesome <laughs> so we we worked a ton on on dives on stroke efficiency and pure sprint you know there was no aerobic development there was no who is this guy who was it uh francis q he was my coach in malaysia uh, he he trained me at alice smith school um, do you still have any contact with him at all yeah i mean we're still connected on social media but um to be honest it's been a long time since i've been back to see him and um but i still i praise everything like my whole career started from him you know i wasn't i wasn't looking to be a swimmer he it just so happened that we were at the same session at the same time and i think no one turned up so it was just me him and another friend and that was kind of like the start of this this swimming career wow brilliant i love that story it's just uh, kind of a chance happening and here we are uh fastest brit in history um outstanding uh so so then you know obviously it progresses where does it go next well so yes yeah, so after malaysia well after that kind of swim where i went 23 4 at 16 i kind of decided like this is where I want to go. I want to make this my swimming career. So I moved back to Plymouth, uh, which is where I trained with John John Rudd uh, for about five or six years, mm -hmm. um, and that's where you know a lot of my big progressions happened. I uh, went to my first Olympics, moved off to Turkey to train with James. Afterwards, went through another big progression, another Olympics, and yeah, now 27 years old. I'm towards the end of my career, um, but I'm still looking to you know, make this my career for the next. You know, how long? 27. You're at the start of your career. What are you talking about? You're just starting to figure it out. People are just starting to give you some respect. This is this is a kind of a 10-year journey from here on in, mate. You're going to be there for a while, uh, especially doing what you do, you know, a uh, couple of sprints and a hot shower, you know, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, Hagino that I talked to, you know, the other day where he's he's dropping eight grand workouts, you know. He, you can't survive doing that for too long. But, um, well, t take me back to then uh, – you know, I know James Gibson has had a huge impact on you. Um, you did go through an Olympics with John Rudd, you said. So uh, was that the Olympics where you finished fourth? Yeah. So that that was, uh, where was that? That was Rio? Rio, 2016. 2016. Yeah, tell, me, tell me about that experience. Yeah, so, I mean, probably best to go back to the start of my relationship with John. Um, he was one that actually approached me out from Malaysia. You know, I've never been to the UK Um and never knew anything about swimming in the UK, but he he reached out, you know, got in contact, and I moved there. And I was this very naive, no idea what was going on. Um, I I never wore goggles when I trained uh, out oh, in Malaysia. Oh wow! And I also always trained in board shorts. <laughs> so my first training session, I came. I didn't have goggles, and I didn't have any training trunks. So the first week, I was racing, uh, training in speedo lasers. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> and I just. I was just young. I didn't really understand the, the swimming culture. Um, so it took me a while to adjust back to UK. And I hope you have some photos of that time, by the way. That's yeah. good. Yeah, send me a photo of that. i got to put that out there. Um, so we, with John, you know, that's where I really became an athlete. You know, we did some hard workouts. and we It was pretty brutal for about five years, um, 30, 40K, which isn't as much as some people, but it was intense. Really. Yeah, a huge jump from where you came from to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And it really, you know, it worked well. Like we were, back then we were really pushing the hundreds. Uh, the 50 was very natural. Um, didn't have to do too much work for it. But in order to be a, a sprinter in the UK, you had to qualify 
as a relay swimmer because mm -hmm. you know back then the qualifying times were far too steep um so i didn't actually qualify in the 50 until the 2016 olympic but wow. i've been to you know 2013 more champs commonwealth games uh, 2015 more champs and, and all that time the 50 was kind of just an add-on then because you'd been qualifying in the 100 yeah yeah so we were always pushing the 100 and then we got to swim the 50 because you know no one else is there to swim it so we would jump in and some that um when was the first time you broke the british record uh so that was 20 i think i broke the fly record in 2013 you know a month before world champs in barcelona and again that was i went from 23.9 to 23.1 and was all of a sudden the fastest seed in in world champs wow massive jump and then my first race world champs i was next to caesar and uh, rafael munoz and that was, yeah, <laughs> as a you know kid growing up in my late teens, like seeing these guys on YouTube, that was pretty awesome. Mm, yeah, massive experience. Um, what about the freestyle? When was the first time you broke the the national record there? Uh, I think that was uh, twenty fourteen. Um, oh, so I mean, you've only been swimming, you know, really for what three or four years at this stage? Yeah, yeah. So it was a really you know quick progression, and I think. You know, the longer I go in my career, the more I, time I spend like looking back at things. You kind of realize how lucky you are. Um, I know a lot of people who are at the top of the game right now have a very lucky progression because I mean, I worked hard. Like I had certain things I did differently to others, um, but in reality, it was very lucky that I got that recognition so young, and and I managed to go from you know 26 to 21 within five years or something. Um, even less than that, three years. Oh, yeah, three years. Yeah, 21. What, what was the – when you broke it for the first time, what did you set the new record at? I think it was a 21-8 or it was at just a casual meet. We yeah. saw it a couple of times and kept on going 21. So, <laughs> Jesus. Well, I, I think, you know, if anybody knows you, uh, I think you were gifted uh, physically. I mean, you're a physical specimen. There's no doubt about that. And I can even remember back in 2014 watching you – kind of swim and and wondering who you were and even recruiting you at, at some stage i think back then trying to get you to come to auburn um there was there was an obvious talent you know real talent i mean it was just it kind of jumped off the page at you when you when you looked at you it was just you are a physical but who do you who do you attribute your your physical being to your mom or your dad that's, that's a good question um my dad was a rugby player uh when he was younger my mom swam a little um but to be honest i don't know it was, Probably a little both then, huh? Hey? Yeah. Both athletes. That's good. I mean, you're definitely an athlete. Are you are you athletic in other realms? I mean, you don't have two left feet. I mean, are you good at other things? I mean, I, I, I guess I took part in other sports when I was younger. Uh, my school was good to, to bring about like a full range of uh, sports that you can do. Um, I was always the, the quicker one. Like if I played rugby, I was on the outside. Or if I was you know, playing football, I'd be the defender running up and down. Um used to love high jump and long jump and things. So I guess that, not speed, but that kind of faster twitch um, was always prevalent. Um, and I think probably looking back, when I was 15, kind of starting swimming, we used to go down to the swimming pool down the road and just play games like catch and tag and whatever with with the, the friends. And like that was probably actually my first bit of physical training. Like that was getting up, sprinting, trying to, swim as fast as you can and 
and I think that's kind of where the sprint starts to develop itself. Right, yeah. Just play, playing in the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah just just by chance. Really. Yeah, I wish there was more of that now, actually, you know, but um, what, what about in terms of how serious you were thinking about maybe going to America at that point in time? I know we were, we were in pretty good talks and, and I'm sure there are other people after you for sure, but was it a, a serious consideration? Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, when I when I started swimming at 15, I was in Malaysia and then got brought out to the UK. My plan was always to do two years in the UK, finish my A-levels and then move to America because... At that time, Auburn was the place to be. It was, you know, without a doubt, the best sprint place. Um, so that was always my plan. And then it became that point where, you know, I'd done those two years and I was at the stage where I thought I would be moving. Um, but it was a very tricky decision because, you know, I either stay in the UK and get that, you know, that favoritism in a way from the, from the, from the British swimming. Um, and also the coaches around and things, or I move and become a bit more of a lone wolf. Um, so I think I was persuaded to stay there and, and, to, and the progression at the time was good. So, yeah. um, and I was very much focused on the Olympics that time around. Yeah, mate, listen, it's, it's hard to say you made a bad decision. I, I don't think you did at all. I mean, obviously where you are now is one of the world's leading sprinters. You got what you needed. You got the, you got the swimming, you got the training, um, you know, what we were offering at the time was the racing and, and, you know, your name was popping up all over the place. So what they did, I think is, is a great job of getting you access to racing. Um, you, you certainly progressed really well in that, that phase. Um, I, so I guess I, maybe the, what was the turning point for you? Where, where do you feel like you had arrived on the world stage? I think day one of my swimming career, um, the reason I give so much praise to Francis um, out of Malaysia was because even at 15 or 16, he kind of instilled this, uh, this belief that I was the best in the world. Um, you know, a little bit of naive, naivety because we'd be doing these practices and he'd be timing and he'd be saying like, you know, this is world-class mm. when in reality I was a 16 year old boy in board shorts swimming in a pool. Um, but it kind of gave me that kind of glimpse of hope that, you know, possibly I can and it was also around that same time where I got into um, the law of attraction which is something I know a lot of swimmers do use a lot of people in in sporting do use um, some people don't as well don't believe in it but at 16 I bought into this thing that if you uh, visualize and manifest things into your life you can you know basically create whatever you want and so the two of those coming together, I applied them to each other. So swimming was my playground to play around with the secret or the law of attraction. And so that kind of led on to where most of my big gains came from swimming. Um, I see it from both sides, you know, the, it's very much a pseudoscience, but you know, the, the simple things that you do when you're trying to, you know, manifest or use the law of attraction is very very helpful just in general terms of swimming you know you're constantly thinking about your race you're setting goals you're you're always thinking about the the future task um so when i was 16 i actually had this dream of becoming world champion in the 50 meters butterfly which is my main event at that time uh so i kind of came back to england with this belief that i was one day going to be world champion um but in terms of reality, I think it wasn't until 2013 when I went 
23-1 in the 50 plus flight 18 or something. That was kind of when I thought, you know, I'm, I'm amongst the big boys. Like I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, you know, I'm at a time which could potentially win a world champs. Yeah. Uh, and at that time when I saw you physically look, you looked kind of prepared, which, which is unusual for someone your age, you know, you were physically there, but you could tell that just kind of mentally, emotionally, you, you maybe needed some more time to get to that point where you were playing with the big boys, but obviously in terms of talent and speed, you had it, you just had to refine it. Um, and, and that has happened over, over the years now where you're just a, a force, you know, um, that, that's exceptional. In, in terms of the fact that you said you had a dream, were you, you just mean you were, you were kind of visualizing these things or did you actually have a dream at night and woke up and like saw something? No, it was a visualization. Like a, a dream is in like a, right. something you aspire to do. Right, right. Did you, uh, were you uh, doing physical acts to manifest that, like writing things down, putting them on your walls? You know, how did you do it? Yeah, so this is um, something I've spoken about with a lot of people. And I wish I could bring up my old laptop because essentially what I used to do was at the start of each season, I would, you know, look at what's going to be coming up in eight, nine months, if it's the world champs or Commonwealth games. And I would set these very arbitrary times. I would say, okay, in the 53, I want to go this time or 50 fly, I want to go this time. And I would, I wouldn't pull out of a hat, but I just kind of chose what felt right. And I would write these times down in this spreadsheet and I would create this little uh, vision board which is mm -hmm. you know, quite commonly used. And then in the early days, it would be essentially every single night before going to bed, I would put my headphones on, listen to a song or two um, for about 20 minutes, and I would visualize the race over and over and over again. And I would do it in as much detail as possible. You know, I, I would know where I'm going to be racing and what it looks like and how it feels. And for three years in a row, uh, 2013, 14, and 15, um, essentially I hit all these times within 0 0.02 of a second and I wish I could get them up. I'm, I'm sure I can at some point, but yeah, we need to find that, that spreadsheet pull up. Yeah. So I think, you know, Commonwealth games is my best example. I set a time of 21, 76, 74 for the freestyle and end up going 21, 76 or 74. And then 50 butterfly, I think I put 22, 94 and I went 22, 93. So these are, these are things which. You know, at the time I, I truly believed in, like I, I was into that uh, philosophy. I mean, now I look back to it and I see, okay, I, I put so much effort into visualizing the races that of course I was going to do well. Um, and simply by doing these vision boards and, and putting the effort in that then leads you to do, you know, the right things at the right time. And it leads you down this pathway. Um, it keeps you accountable too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're always thinking about what you're going to do and you're always kind of driven to this goal. And I think it was a very helpful way to, um, yeah, to kind of springboard myself into this career. Mate, uh, you're at 21.1 now, I believe. So you got to have this vision board set at 20.8 and that, that's realistic. And I can't wait for someone to, to hit that, mate. Uh, that, that world record needs to go down. And and you're a contender in there, you know, you're one of uh, like three or four people, I think, that could, you know, legitimately get this thing. And uh, and I would love for you to do it. So we, we need to talk more about that. But um, in terms of Rio, then you, you finish fourth at the Olympics. Are you are you happy? Are you displeased? How do you feel? Uh, in all honesty, I, I think I finished ahead of where I was ready to. 
you know, I think I, I wasn't ready for a medal at that time. And I'm quite glad I didn't get a medal. You know, I wasn't physically or, or I hadn't been there before. Um, so I think finishing fourth was kind of the best of where I was at. Um, because in, in a way that kind of led me on to the next year, which is where I had more motivation, I wanted to do better, and I kind of you know, went up another level in 2017. Yeah, so what did you, what did you swim to finish fourth? Uh, it was twenty one six, I believe. Twenty one six, yeah. Okay, right, yeah, right, yeah. You did, you did make another jump forward from that. Now, I guess at that time, that was kind of right at your best, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was continuously getting. Yeah. I mean, when I look at my career uh, from fifteen to twenty four, my trajectory was very, very linear. It was constant improvements over and over and over again, um, which is why I say I was quite lucky uh, to have that kind of easy journey to to where i wanted to be well you decided to make the change to one of the best coaches in the world i think in james gibson how did that come about and what, why did you make th that decision uh so again that was quite a natural progression um after the olympics in in rio took some time away did the world cups and by the time i came back to plymouth uh had a meeting with john pretty much first day back on poolside and he just said, like, he's got this job opportunity in Ireland and he's going to take it, which means he'll be leaving in January, which was, you know, a bit of a shock um, because, you know, I didn't know what I was going to be doing. So I just relied on coming back to Plymouth. But luckily, uh, the same weekend he announced that, that was when James made the announcement that uh, our training camp, uh, not training camp, our training place in Turkey was going to be set up. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Kind of all connected at the same time. Did you know James before this? Yeah. So James was my coach in every British competition since 2013. Okay. So he was there in my first World Champs, first Commonwealth Games and um, first Olympics. You know, just knowing you personally, knowing James and talking to other people, uh, things click with you and him. You, you've got a lot of respect for him. Talk to me about maybe some of the things you learned from going from you know, fourth at the Olympics to making this another progression forward with James. How, how do you improve on being one of the best sprinters in the world and then take another leap forward when you change coaches? So, I mean, the way I would explain James as a coach to other people is if you give him a lump of clay, he will sculpt it into a, you know, a great sculpture. Mm. And essentially, you know, with all my work I did with John, you know, I was, I was fit, I was strong, um, I had the sprint in me, uh, but wasn't refined mm -hmm. as soon as i moved to james we you know we worked well like we learned how to work with each other and you know he kind of molded this sprinter mm -hmm. um, we we took away the hundreds completely um my training weeks went from 30 plus k to you know 12 to 14. um we really emphasized the gym and took away garbage yardage and it was very much we're here to some fast and we're here to some the 50. Um, so immediately that just, that worked. I think within three months, I went from a best time of 21.5 or 21.6 to 21.3. Um, with, and people don't realize how much of a massive gain that is. You know, two tenths of a second and a 50 at that yeah. speed is massive. Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, a really, really big shock because, you know, at the time I was still post-Olympics, you know, hadn't really set my targets for that year. And all of a sudden, you know, so many times well ahead of what would have won the games. Um, 
so that was again another stepping stone towards you know setting some good times um and that was also leading into the world champs in 2017 uh, which was i mean still to say my most successful competition other than the the shift in um workload or the you know the quality of it change and, and things like that uh, technically it seemed to me like you know previously you, you were a little flatter in your freestyle look like james kind of opened you up a little bit got you coming over the top more uh you know, more of a direct kind of windmill action i don't know how would you explain it yeah i mean i look back at videos from previously you know before i worked at james and i i almost cringe at the way i was swimming because it doesn't look pretty um my first three months with james um i remember being very very not anxious but he was so on the ball like every 25 we did it was technique 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 and it was almost too much um because i didn't know what what was coming out of this so it was a lot to deal with but and then three months later swam a significant pb and that was kind of where i understood like his his reasoning like his um his approach to technique and and to balance and then we had a very long you know four or five years of working together where we you know continuously worked on the drills the speed the power um but essentially he did just make me another level of a sprinter like sitting high in the water like very balanced and you know i've some of the best times over there so talk to us um kind of in terms of the weekly schedule for you how would it how would it look i mean you obviously came down a lot you, you're talking about you know, 14, 15,000 meters a week. So it's really kind of two speeds, isn't it? It's, it's slow, perfect technique and, and fast, efficient swimming. Um, but you talk me through the week and what that would look like. Um, so even though it's only 14K, like we still, we still worked a lot and we still work pretty hard. Um, and look, no doubt. You don't have to sell that to me. I know sprinters work harder, right? Everyone out there, shut up. We work hard. But um, well, there's a lot of stuff out of the pool too. It's not just the stuff you do in the pool. Yeah, so we had a you know, brilliant setup in Turkey. We had, you know, amazing pool, amazing gym, and we we basically just did everything you had to do. We worked on, you know, the drills in the morning. Then we went for overspeed at night, and the next day was you know, kicking the underwaters, like hitting them hard, uh, fins on, like pushing seventeen points uh, for a fifty long course. Um, mm -hmm. Massive lactate production, um, began the legs firing. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday was a big gym session where I worked with Marco and we would, you know, spend almost two hours just doing the right things. And, you know, Marco was actually a massive contrib contributor to, you know, swimming these 20, 21 ones, mm -hmm. um, playing with those numbers and playing with, you know, how much weight you need to shift and how, what intensity. Um, then we did a lot of, James's special sessions, which were like, you know, speed endurance or, you know, ultra short race pace in his certain way. So we only had, you know, Wednesday morning and Saturday afternoon off. And so we trained all week and it was lots of, you know, high intensity work, um, very little recovery. Only uh, Thursday morning was a recovery session. Um, so it was very much just intense, but in a way that, you know, I was always fresh. I was always ready to go. And, right. and that was during those four years, that was probably the best thing was no matter what time of the year it was, I was still fresh and fast and, and feeling good. 
Yeah, and that's really been a shift in sprinting, you know, in the last how, however period. It used to it used to always be obviously work, 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 taper, swim fast, you know. But it's changing now where people are trying to swim fast all the time. And so, you know, you want to be healthy, you want to be strong, you want to be powerful, explosive, you want all those things, all those components of a good sprint to just be there whenever you need them. And so the training has shifted and, and James is kind of a world leader in this aspect. And I'm glad we're getting to talk about this as well. But but you you're certainly working hard. There's no doubt about that, right? You're 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 fatigued. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, so looking back to 2018 so going forwards a little bit when i first went 21-1 in uh seti collie i was there yeah i was was watching from the stands just in like my jaw dropped i was like i did not just witness that it was one of the most beautiful swims i've ever seen if anyone can go back and find some footage is it on youtube at all do you know yeah i believe it's somewhere out there track it down have a look at that swim it is gorgeous but yeah talk to me about it yeah so about two weeks before that we were in a, a very strange position because Mentally, physically, I was completely gone. I was, you know, didn't really want to train. Like I was feeling so heavy and 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 terrible. But my numbers in the gym were still, you know, much better. Like if I did a vertical jump at 61 centimeters that week, it was 65, and it was just a very much a. The body was ready, but you know, we'd been doing three months of hard training. Like I was fatigued, and the Monday before the race. Um, I think the race was on like Friday, the, the Monday morning, first session back into the pool after the weekend, finish a session two, two and a half K, whichever one was. And then James says like, right, we're doing a, a suited 50. We had Stefano, who's the video analysis guy we, we worked a lot with. He'd come around. So we said, you got 20 minutes, go get your suit, put it on and we're doing a 50 stand up. And so we did that. And then Monday night we did more fifties. Hang on, how'd that go? I think it was a 21 something okay. like, so it wasn't miserable, even though you're feeling still pretty fatigued. Yeah. It wasn't terrible. No, it was, it was good. And Monday night we did more fifties and, you know, again, it was good, but not great. And I just remember just going up to James saying like, look, I, I physically can't do another 50. Like <laughs> I need to, to back off. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Uh, so he said, okay, we're racing this weekend anyway. So we're, that's the last hard session we're doing for until racing. Um, so that was kind of the point, like, you know, we're under extreme fatigue, but we just keep it rolling. Like it was this fine balance of having this extreme you know, intensity in the work, but also being able to stay somewhat fresh and manage the workload. Um, so it's kind of this weird combination of, um, you know, hard training recovery. And then we went to this competition in Rome and it just happened that, you know, feeling fresh got enough rest and everything clicked and popped <laughs> it's really hard to predict sometimes too I, i've had some some 50s i remember coming down from altitude once and just feeling exhausted too and just saying to my coach listen i'm just going to take the next couple of days off and i just i just then you know you go to a competition i felt just incredible for some reason i don't know why but yeah it happens you wish you could kind of time it like that all the time yeah uh, in, in saying that is there only a couple of times in your life where you where you really feel like something like that has clicked for you because i remember you know for myself it was it was only very few times that you you really have that kind of experience yeah i mean it's especially with sprinting like it's very rare opportunity uh i don't know how it works in other events in the longer ones but to get everything perfect like you know the stars align to get these swims 
I don't think it happens that often. Mm -hmm. And especially when, like when you're trying to prepare for a world champs or a, a major competition, mm -hmm. you have the added pressure of, you know, nerves and you know, adrenaline and, you know, being on the big stage. Um, which is why I think so many people are moving towards this method of like, let's try some fast all year round. And it was a bit like Andre Govrov in 2018, like he was doing every single competition and he was, I wouldn't say fresh, but he was trying to swim as quick as he could. And it got to the point where he could swim this amazing swim in the butterfly and go 22-2, which is unbelievable. Um, but that's just what you need in the 50s. Like in order to get this outstanding swim, you have to be continuously racing to get that little peak where things are just perfect. I always think of it too in terms of your, your emotional state at that point in time. You know, going back to that particular race, um, in set to collie, do you, do you remember your emotional state? Why, why did the stars align? And, and have you thought about the analysis of that in terms of trying to realign the stars so that you can mimic that feeling more often? I mean, it's yes, I wish I could, uh, but it's much harder said than done. Um, I think at the time, like I was very just, you know, clear. I was just rolling with how things were and kind of just going with the flow. I mean, so you're not overthinking things or not, not, you know, you don't have a bunch of stuff in your mind that you're going over. No, I mean, <clears throat> it also goes to this, uh, thing that people speak about a lot, which is the flow state, which is just being in that, that way of being, you're not overthinking things. You're just going with how things should be. And you're just very natural. And all the times I have somewhere, I've kind of felt this, this feeling, uh, 2017 world champs when I won, I kind of dove in and, and my head was completely somewhere else, but my body took over and it did what I needed to do. And I got the win. And then in 2018 at this competition, again, like I dove in and my head was like, I had no control over what my body was doing. It was just doing what we do day in and day out. And it just provided us this swim. But I think in the background, there is definite, you know, social things that go on, which make you more lighthearted and you know, less stressed. And, and that also adds the contribution of, you know, getting those swims. Um, I mean, just as you're talking there, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of all the times that you've, you've swum and all the finals you've swum. And, and a lot of the times Bruno's been there with you, to be honest, and, and I've been coaching him through those times. What's, what's your relationship like with Bruno and, and, and how, you know, I, I know that you've, you've consider all your um, opponents, but you, you, you know that Bruno's going to be there. We know that you're going to be there. And so we're always considering the fact that look, Ben Proud's going to be there. He's going to be on his game. It's things that we talk about. Do you, do you kind of think about those things too? Yeah, I mean, so within the sprinting world at the moment, there's only, you know, a handful of guys who are always there. And there's you know, probably six of them who are continuously in every single final. And you learn that they will be around and like you will do this. But um, my, my method of thinking is always myself, my bubble, my lane. That's, that's all I think about. And I try to ignore everything else. Um, there are times where like that racing comes into, into a factor, but you know, typically I try to keep myself to myself and just do my own race, um, which is in a 50 quite easy to do. You're not breathing, you're not looking left or right. You're just head down at the line, swim and get it done. Um, which probably goes to, you know, me as a person, I'm more the introverted side of people. Um, I am an introverted sprinter. I keep myself to myself and I, I'm not very out there. 
that shows in my mentality when I come to racing because it is just me and my lane. It's not against other people where, you know, I think some other really great swimmers at the moment are very much, they have to race and they have to beat the person next to them, which is a skill, you know, sometimes I wish I had, but it's not my strength. Um, so yeah, I tend to keep myself to myself. I, I often thought to myself and I, and I still do, uh, you know, in terms of coaching sprinters is like, okay, you're now one of, like you said, you're one of six guys that are there all the time. So then now how then do you become the guy that's the consistent guy who's, who's always winning? Almost like kind of what Caleb's doing at, the, at this point in time. Now, he, he has obviously a certain skill set that is uh, superior. You know, that, that first 15 right now is just deadly and, and it sets up his race. So do you think about it that way? Like, all right, I'm, I'm there. I've already accomplished that part of my goal. Now, how do I become the guy that is consistently winning these races? Yeah. So I set out my, my new, what I'm going to do. And that was to be so good that even on a bad day, I still swim. Like exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was mentality. That was the reason why we put so much work in to swim so fast that even if you swim a couple of tenths slower, like you can still end up on the podium. And essentially that's what happened in 2017. I think I finished third. Um, you know, even if I swam my best time, I would still be a third, but I was quite off it and still end up on the podium. And that's just kind of how I see things going forward now. Like I'm, you know, 27, I've still got, you know, another eight, nine years left in my career if I choose it. My idea is just to be so good that I can go to world champs after world champs after world champs, consistently be in that top five or six. And every now and then there'll be a time where I end up on the podium or like the stars nine and you end up doing a good race. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that, mate. I, I really am because um, I think very highly of you. Like I said, we, we've had many conversations about you with Bruno and, and, and we think that way and we feel that way, but we also want our competitors to, to think that as well. And I think it's a, it's a very important thing to, to think. And, and I think for anyone out there that's not in the top six in the world right now, and you're trying to beat Bruno, and you're trying to beat Ben Proud, then you better start thinking that way because otherwise, uh, you know, like, like you said, uh, to, be, to be good enough on your worst day to still be good enough to win a medal that that's the mentality and if you're not there and, and a lot of people think the 50s are crapshoot and it's anyone i kind of laugh at that you too yeah yeah i mean it's I, I i understand the idea like one small mistake can be a very very big margin which does happen in finals occasionally but i mean we work pretty damn hard to get there <laughs> yeah, i mean you you've repped it out enough that you're probably not going to make any big mistakes it might be something um, small when, when you have made um, some small technical errors. What, what are some of the things for you? For me, it was like I, I would I would try and pull too hard. You know, like I, you want it bad. Everyone wants it, yeah. but then you, you get in and you just force it a little bit. And I could just feel it, and I knew it at the end of the race. I'd kind of kick myself, like, damn it, I just tried too hard there. Have you had that experience? Yeah. So one thing, as I always say, is in sprinting, going 101 percent is counterintuitive. You want to be 98, 99 percent all the time. You never want to go all in because that's just a very dangerous place. Mm -hmm. um, and that does happen sometimes when the emotions get the better of you, like you want to win, mm -hmm. you push it, you, you try hard, you end up just going 101, 102% and then you fall behind. And that's just, that's just sprinting. 
it's like trying to balance on a knife's edge. You know, you have to be so delicate, so fine, not too much, not too little. You're just this sweet spot um, that, yeah, creates the best performances. You're, um, if I'm to analyze you and look at you, I don't see a lot of weaknesses, but at the same time, we're still trying to go 20.8. So how do, how do we get from, you know, swimming really well to, to getting that next level of performance? I mean, your start's pretty good. You sit up real high in the water, you hold good water, you, you, you maintain your speed really well, but we're still got to find these three tenths, man. Where, where are they? What, what is it for you that you're really looking at? Well, I mean, looking how far people have come in the past 10 years since the super has been been uh, banned we've found so much more you know 0.4 of a second uh, from what the best could have done to what they're doing now i mean it's going to be a challenge to get there but you know we're very much on this fine line of human capabilities and our generation at the moment in order to get those that 20 point 20.8 it will take the perfect swim will take strength and technique and class and affinity with the water it will take someone special to come along and, and to do it. Um, yes, the next generations are going to get faster and faster, and we're going to see that record go in the, at some point. It'd be great if it can go in our generation, and that is something. Um, for me, the only way I see it is consistency in training. Um, you just get in years and years of work, and it will happen eventually. It's not going to come from sheer brute strength and let's get this done. It will come from you know, finesse over a couple more years. All right. I, I agree, yeah. Uh, in, in terms of the brute strength, I have seen you bigger and stronger. Uh, you, you've definitely leaned out a little bit, lost a little muscle mass. Has that been kind of a um, conscious decision on your behalf? Uh, yes and no. Um, when we're working on the freestyle, strength is a really key thing, and I can be heavy and strong and 94 kilos. Um which is where I was back in 2018, going 21-1s. But that's very detrimental to the fly because fly is much more of a power-to-weight ratio. Um, with COVID, um, training has been all over the place. Like I've, I've missed out on, on some, some training things. Probably lost some size from that, but you know, in reality, it's working out well. I'm 91 kilos, still lifting as heavy as I have. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm quite happy to be, you know. Yeah. What about in terms of nutrition? I mean, you're, you're ripped to shreds. Is it something that you have um, spent a lot of time learning about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the thing I'd say I've done is I've not set myself diets. I've just simply learned what's good and what's bad. And, you know, I, I know myself that to, to be good and to be consistent in training, you have to just eat, you know, good quality food at good quality times. Um, I personally don't like fast food or junk food, so I just tend to stay away from it. And that's just that's just who I am. Um, but in reality, it's just kind of, yeah, you can think about the diet as much as you want, but the work outweighs that. What about when you're at home, who's doing your meal preps? Who's, who's, who's getting that stuff ready for you? I mean, back in Turkey, we were, you know, living a luxurious life. We had a buffet. We had amazing, amazing things. Uh, things are changing at the moment, and I'm back at home you know, living with my brother every now and then, he's a good cook, so I can, <laughs> I can nice. live with that. Nice, nice. That's very good. Um, uh, well, in terms of just this week, uh, this weekend, mate, it, it looks like it's pretty hotly contested uh, between the four teams for sure, but certainly the three teams and, um, you know, Energy Standard, then you've got the London Raw and then you've got the Cali Condors that kind of just separated themselves a little bit from the pack. 
Um, it, it looks like it can come down to anybody's race and, and maybe even this podcast will come out after it's all said and done. But in terms of just kind of predicting the ebbs and flows of it, where are you guys strong on your team? Where, you know, where do you need help and, and those sorts of things? Well, I mean, looking at the you know top four teams at the moment, I think everyone's going through this battle of, yes, we are brilliant teams, but we're lacking a few people or like there's, you know, some people coming down with sickness or not turning up or, so we're all great teams, but with a few weaknesses at the moment, um, you know, we're, we're missing quite a few people just purely because of COVID. And, um, but, you know, our strong swimmers are, are very strong. Uh, Shimanovic. Yeah. Ilya, Sarah, Siobhan. Um, these guys are massive weight carriers and they will you know, do brilliant things for our team. And then it's just kind of, you know, when you put different teams together, they, they counteract each other. So, you know, in, in the past, like, LA tends to counteract us in a way, and like, they're good where we're good. Whereas London and Cali also counteract each other because they're both good at the same, same things. So I really think this weekend's just gonna come down to a complete dogfight. I mean, every point is gonna matter and, you know, there's so many different ways it could go. Um, but I think as a team, like, we're, we're in a good place and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like the whole atmosphere and getting things done. Yeah, man, you got a great team. Uh, really good. Uh, in terms of predictions for the 53 and 50 fly, what do you think the winning times will be uh, yourself? I guess 53 would be 20.5, 20.6. You know, I think depending how Dressel is, you know, if he's coming back in form, you know, Carl Charms is an absolute machine at the moment. Um, I think it's going to be in, in that region. Um, obviously, everyone's going to go try it as quick as they can. It could also be slower, you never know. And then 50 fly, we're, we're missing the, the two top dogs, the, the record holders at the moment. Um, but then some people are also stepping up. So, you know, it's gonna be verging on that 21 seconds to, to win the fly. Mate, you said you'd been 20.6 already this season. I'm seeing a lot of hair on these legs and these arms. So if you've already been 20.6 and you're predicting kind of a 20.5 win, you gotta be right there, you'd think, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm keen to get things done and, you know, I want to race these guys. Um, the best thing about ISL and being here for four weeks, you're racing the same pool over and over and over again. And you just, you learn how to adjust. And like, for me, repetitiveness is is my biggest strength. I and mean, I can do things over and over again. So I'm just looking forward to like getting in and just getting that race, which flows natural and then get things done. Uh, Man, what's your favorite piece of equipment? A snorkel. All the, all the way. Okay. Why was that? Uh, I mean, I, I need my fins all the time, but in reality, I just I like to be buoyant. It keeps my my stroke neutral. Um, I hate breathing uh, during the strokes. That's why if you see me to the hundred, it's a very different stroke to my fifty stroke. Uh, the fifty, the, the snorkel just keeps my head neutral, body high, hips high, and it lets me keep a good body position. Do you do a lot of speed work with the snorkel, or or holding your breath? No, just holding my breath. Um, we do a lot of hypoxic work and that's one one key thing you know physically you don't need to breathe for 21 seconds like you just don't need the oxygen um so we learn how to to push that boundary even further um so as much as i can i'll try to go no snorkel natural but you know it just helps in those longer sessions yeah what about your favorite recovery tool our fins all the way. <laughs> oh, no, I, mean, I mean, outside the water in terms of recovery, you got ice bars, you got saunas, you got yeah. steam rooms, you got massage, you got, what, what do you like outside of the pool? So I, I am a very firm swimmer. You know, I like it when my muscles are tight and I'm, I'm not loose and recovered. 
which is why like I'm still in the gym at the moment. Um, normal techs are a good good shout. Like before match, after racing, like it's a good way to flush out the blood. Um, but I tend to stay away from massages and, and all that. Really? Wow. No massage. What about ice bath? I'm terrible with the cold. <laughs> I can't I can't do those. Man, you British should be good with the cold. But yeah, I can't do the ice bath, mate. They're terrible things. But uh, listen, it's been awesome. I uh, appreciate you sitting down. Uh, it's been kind of, you know, we scrapped it together. It's a little little cloudy in the in the camera here, but uh, I think we've done all right. But uh, uh, Ben Proud, appreciate your time, mate. Good luck with everything this weekend, right? Thank you very much. All right, cheers. Let's turn this off.